decisions that took seconds to make cost us to combine seven, 47 years of our life. Welcome to Hope, helping other people elevate. My name is Ray Aguilar, and this morning um, I have the honor of interviewing a good friend of mine, Jay Vasquez. Jay, how you doing this morning? I'm feeling blessed, Ray, top of the morning. Hey, good morning, man. Uh, great to have you on the program. Jay is going to be one of the contributors to our many discussions on this podcast. So just as we've done before, it's important for you guys to get to know Jay and um, just what he's come out of, the huge transformational changes that he's made in his life. So um, let's begin. Jay, uh, tell us when you paroled and what are you doing today? For sure, for sure. I paroled in November 2018, so I've been out about a little over two years, two years of some change. And uh, yeah, so I'm blessed today. I have um, I work uh, with an organization called Communities United for Restorative Youth Justice uh, based in Oakland. And I'm their participatory defense and policy coordinator. So I wear two hats with that organization. Uh, part of it is uh, supporting families who have loved ones fighting cases. Uh, to try to bring their home ones, their loved ones home as soon as possible and strategizing with them and being that thought partner and supporting that process because it's often scary and intimidating uh, when their loved ones go through the court system. And the other hat I wear is uh, has a lot to do with state uh, policy work, uh, criminal justice reform and juvenile justice reform, police accountability, uh, things like that. And then on top of that, I'm also a, a full-time student at San Francisco State University majoring in sociology and minoring in criminal justice. Awesome. You know, none of this surprises me as I hear Jay because um, in prison, we were uh, huge advocates on, on not only prison reform, but, you know, helping our peers uh, just prepare for the board and just staying up on the laws, the changes that are uh, were being made and just um, a lot of the advocacy that was happening on this end. So to see him get involved is very typical of who Jay is as a person. And so um, thank you. I appreciate you even being part of this whole experience with us. You know, just like we've done in the past, you know, just taking doing our part, taking initiative and trying to help the families that, you know, um, just help their family, their loved ones, you know, who are incarcerated. So uh, it's important for the listeners to just uh, get familiar with you as you contribute so they can understand uh, what you've come out of. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, tell us um, your, your background. Uh, you know, a little bit about your, your, your journey while incarcerated, if you don't mind. For sure, for sure, for sure. Well, I would say that, you know, my story is similar to millions of other kids of color raised in poor, gang-infested ghettos. Uh, my father, who I adored, was in and out of my life. Um, you know, he was in and out and was a heroin addict and an alcoholic. He died from uh, cirrhosis of the liver when I was 15. My mother was a meth addict and also a strung out on heroin and uh my little brother and i were bounced around to different family members you know who did their best to help raise us um you know as a teenager i got involved in the neighborhood street gang experienced police violence food insecurity and juvenile incarceration and um you know I, back then i had a general sense of hopelessness and couldn't understand why i was such an angry child um, today i understand that it was just a lot of bottled up childhood trauma and I didn't know how to deal with it um, and the gang was there for me at a time when I felt like no one else was uh, it gave me a sense of belonging and for the first time in my life I felt important you know like um, like I mattered uh, but the gang lifestyle also let me down you know a dark and 
violent path. And at 16 years old, I was tried as an adult and sentenced to 31 years to life. Um, the DA had said, uh, you know, once a gang member, always a gang member. And they sent me to a maximum security prison where, you know, stabbings and riots are the norm. One of the guards told me, hey, youngster, do yourself a favor and, uh, and hang yourself and you're never getting out of here. And, and that's how I felt. I, I felt like I was going to die in prison. And just like the community I grew up in, you know, there was a lack of resources, positive mentors and support services. You know, it was non-existent on the level four 180 yard that I was on. And so, uh, you know, being that there was no self-help programs, higher education or job training, there was just a lot of violence and uh, a sense of hopelessness. And you could actually feel the tension in the air every time um, we were allowed to go to yard and we weren't on lockdown, you know, and I saw things there that, you know, I wish I could unsee and, you know, did what I had to do to survive and pretty much did everything I was supposed to do. Uh, and in 2001, I was uh, put in solitary confinement. It was uh, the first time in my life that I was alone with my thoughts in four walls. And uh, I did a lot of soul searching and came to the realization that my gang lifestyle was re-victimizing my victims and hurting those who loved and cared about me and were waiting for me to come home. Um, and I wanted to change. I said, no, how? Uh, the gang lifestyle was all I knew. So, you know, I asked God to help me change. And at that moment, it felt like a, a huge weight lifted from my shoulders. And although I was still doing a life sentence, I had never felt more free in my life. And, um, you know, in that change process, it, it, it didn't come overnight. Um, I started reading self-help books and eventually I was transferred to a prison that had a handful of self-help programs and volunteers who wanted to help people like me change. And most importantly, I began processing all of the emotional uh, trauma and pain I had bottled in as a child. And I got actively involved in my community behind walls because I saw how community support and resources can bring healing and positive transformation. And, um, you know, so I created curriculum for about two dozen self-help workshops and, you know, co-founded with, with Ray, you know, a youth mentoring program. Uh, I earned six associate degrees with honors and wrote articles for the prison newsletter. After serving 25 years, I was uh, found suitable for release by the pro board. And, uh, Man, I was, I was so happy. I cried church's joy, man. I, man it, it, it was, I was so happy. And I still smile, uh, you know, remembering that day when I was found suitable. And, but I couldn't have done it, you know, without the support of God and, and, and family and friends and, you know, like you, Ray, and, and volunteers and teachers uh, and systems in place that promoted healing and, and, you know, well-being. You know, a supportive environment really made all the difference. And, if it can work on a micro level, such as a prison yard, then why not in the free community? And so as soon as I came home, I got actively involved in my community. I joined the community clean team and, you know, just pick up trash on the street. You know, I started picking up trash on the street and, um, and I was paroled to San Francisco and the Tenderloin district. And anybody that's familiar with the Tenderloin district, it's, uh, it's like San Francisco skid row. So, um, you know, just, just pick up trash on the street and, uh, you know, planting trees and things like that. And I volunteered at United Playa here in San Francisco. It's a youth violence prevention program um, and want to continue my education. So I enrolled at SF State uh, with the help of Project Rebound. 
to get my bachelor's degree in uh, sociology. And, uh, you know, and then that continued the journey where I, you know, I get to do some amazing things with my job. Uh, and actually the reason I got uh, plugged into Communities United for Restorative Justice was from another fellow uh, ex-lifer, uh, Miguel Casada, who had worked there and was also familiar of the way I was involved in my community behind prison walls and got me plugged in just based on that. And so, uh, you know, just recently I worked on state policy to protect children against manipulative police interrogations, uh, Senate Bill 203, and, and now I'm continuing that work, you know, working on different bills to such as emergency response teams to address mental health crises rather than police uh, showing up with guns and also a bill that's creating a process that strips badges from bad cops when they commit crimes against community members, uh, police certification. So the fight continues because some of those policies, you know, uh, were strongly opposed by police unions and didn't become law. So, um, yeah, so it's just I, I get to do those you know, wonderful things in my community and use my lived experience uh, as a formerly incarcerated person to lend my voice to those tables and uh, strive to make a positive difference in my communities. No, it's awesome. I hear you uh, mention all these different organizations and, you know, uh, nowhere near the amount of, um, I mean, that they have today than when, when, when we grew up, <laughs> you know, and so it's, it's awesome right. to see more people involved and people uh, in, in, in the community understanding and really um, recognizing the need what we need in order to help this next generation. And I see that, you know, uh, there's a lot of uh, guys who were formerly incarcerated who've gone through, um, you know, who's shared their stories on this podcast who are doing the same type of work, a lot of advocacy. And that's the only way changes yeah. are really going to come about. And, uh, you know, one, one of the things that you didn't mention um, about your incarceration that I, I kind of want to touch on is uh, you, you came in at 16 and you found yourself, uh, you know, getting involved, you know, uh, initially in that lifestyle and it landed you in the shoe and you got an indeterminate yep. sentence uh, and yep. how, um, an indeterminate. And how long did you spend in the hole? In the hole was uh, a little over two years. I went in uh, 2001 and was able to uh, get out in uh 2003 and so uh you know people what people don't realize is you're confined to 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 a cell you know you're the only movement that you have is to the yard and to the shower but uh always under you know always with shackles and um you know coming out of a gang lifestyle there was a lot to overcome especially at the age that you were incarcerated and like you said you just didn't know yeah. you know how change was going to come about um what would you attribute uh, to um, that that was probably the one of the main source of your change, as far as um, start yeah. making that choice and coming out of that lifestyle that you're living as an adolescent. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. And I've often thought about this because it was such a huge turning point in my life. And uh, you know, I, I really attribute to God. You know, I'm I'm not I don't call myself a religious person by any means, but I'm definitely a spiritual person and. Uh, I have come to the conclusion that there was no other, uh, you know, driving force that helped me come out of that uh, besides God. I mean, you know, it's just, you know, walking away from that lifestyle was very scary for me. Um, um, scary because, as I had mentioned, I didn't know anything else. I didn't know what change looked like. I didn't know what 
I was to become, you know, that living that lifestyle for so long as a child. And that's all I've seen, you know, predominantly my community uh, growing up, you know, it, it was a scary decision to make uh, just because of the fear of the unknown. Um, but no, I, I strongly uh, attribute it to God and um, giving me the strength to make that turning point. And then once he gave me the courage to make that change, then, uh, you know, it was family, friends, volunteers, teachers, and the systems in place that helped me uh, heal and, and rewire my brain and my beliefs. And you know, like, it, took, it took years of, of rewiring uh, my belief system and just um, all the things that I had been taught as a child and were reinforced in prison, you know, uh, 10 times that. So it was, it was a huge uh, process. And, you know, but yeah, initially, I, I got to give all credit. That's right. And I'm sure, you know, I can agree with you and I'm sure many others can agree with you. And so, you know, it's it's uh, why I particularly enjoy hearing uh, stories of guys who have recently paroled, because a lot of people don't know what goes on behind that those walls. A lot of the media, a lot of things that we see on TV is just complete portrayal of violence and, you know, degradation. And, and, and to a lot of ex um, extent that that, is, that does go on. But there are, you know, cases where men are changing you know, there are programs that men are benefiting from. And, you know, I, as I've shared in this podcast in the past, you know, a lot of those programs, as you described earlier, were programs that either we benefited from or we knew that there was a need. And so we developed them for our peers because we knew that this is what liberates. This is what brings us out of that degradation and helps us to, you know, come into a very pro-social life. And so um, I've seen your transformation. I've seen, you know, um, a lot of the things that you're doing in prison. And so, as I said, man, I, you know, I really commend you on what you're doing in the community. I know that a lot of um, young men and women's lives are going to be impacted. You know, we know that there's a lot of prison reform. I'm sure you're aware that uh, uh, the, the California Supreme Court just finally ruled on, on Palmer, uh, Palmer too. Yeah. And so, um, you know, there's things in the pipeline that are going to benefit, you know, uh, men who are still behind bars and, you know, who, who, who need a fair chance, a second chance to, to come out, to come out. Um, yeah, definitely. I want to say something like real quick right on that. You know, you mentioned the Palmer decision, which, you know, really reflected unfavorably on Palmer. And I don't want to comment too much on that. But um, I do want to highlight that I'd probably still be in prison right now had it not been for like Senate Bill 260. Absolutely. You know, for these new laws, all these new laws that changed for uh, criminal justice, juvenile justice reform. Um, you know, had these laws not come into play, I there's a very, very good chance I'd still be the same person I am now, um, you know, rehabilitated, doing positive things behind prison walls, I'd be sitting back there, yeah. you know, w without uh, being able, the opportunity to contribute to my community out here like I'm doing today. But it's only because of giving the opportunities through criminal justice reform and policy work uh, that I'm giving, sitting here today being able to have this conversation with you uh, about the things that we're able to do out here in the free community. So it's huge. It's huge that people that are giving these opportunities, as you stated, you know, when we went back in, uh, you know, back in the 90s, uh, you know, it was the mentality just warehouse them, lock them up, throw away the key, um, you know. And so, you know, back then it was just, uh, you know, it was in, put us in an environment where there was no self-help inside prison. And more importantly, there was no point of self-help in prison because you were never really given the opportunity, a meaningful opportunity to be released to the parole board anyway. So it was like, what's the point? Um, so, yeah, so, I'm, you know, it's nowhere where it needs to be, um, you know, with uh, the parole board or the, or the prison system, but it's a far cry from 
you know, um, you know, even 10 years ago. And so I think we're headed in the right direction, but it's going to take a lot more work to really get us to where we need to be because um, I, I know plenty of people right now that are, are rehabilitated. It could be positive assets out here in the free community that are still doing time behind bars. And, um, you know, some of them um, are doing LWAP and, and they're, they're never really going to be given some meaningful opportunity, uh, meaningful opportunity unless some type of laws change. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're rehabilitated and they're doing amazing things, amazing positive contributions behind prison walls that are not noticed. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree 100 percent. You know, the fact that the courts constantly have to intervene is, a, you know, is evident that there's abuses, you know, within the within the, you know, the justice system. And so, um, yes, I, too, am a recipient, not so much of SB 260, but definitely SB 261. And so um, I know a lot of that weighed in and my, me being found suitable. And so, yes, we have to thank the voters because we know that there's a lot of advocates on this side of the wall that, that, that advocated for justice reform and, and continue to, to advocate. And so um, definitely appreciative. And I think that that's why this podcast is very important because it shows the, uh, it sheds light on the justice system, on, on how men are benefiting from these policy changes, how men are benefiting from the laws that are, are being changed. You know, uh, you yourself now, you know, you're able to, you know, contribute on a larger scale, you know, uh, and, and, and I'm sure you're, you know, the things that you're doing is still having a ripple effect and, and still touching many inside of, uh, of prison. You know, I, I recently got a phone call from someone in, um, in prison and they're like, hey man, we're, we're still doing uh, the curriculum that you and Jay, you know, put together for power, you know, prisoners uh, organizing yeah. workshops yeah. for effective rehabilitation. You know, so, you know, right. this, to be able to see the work that continues, you know, not so much the acknowledgement. We don't need that. We just want the healing to, to, to take place. And a lot of those programs came about by men who just took the time, like what we're doing here, taking the time. So, yes, uh, thank, right. thank you, Jay, for uh, your contributions, man, and, and, and your continued advocacy. So um, one last question, uh, some concluding thoughts on what you want listeners to know about you and going forward as we continue the seasons in this podcast to address various issues like, you know, addiction, gang affiliation, everything that, and even, even um, what families can do, you know, to support their loved ones while incarcerated. For sure. For sure. Well, I just want to put out there that, you know, um, you know, at a very young age, I was, basically discarded as, as incorrigible, right? I, I grew up in the super predator era, but that's the labels that were given to, to kids. Um, and and that, that's the label that was given to me uh, back in the early 90s. Um, so I just want to put it out there and just that, you know, you know there's no such thing as good or, or bad people. You know, there's just people, but there, you know, there's good habits and bad habits. And, um, you know, unfortunately, there's these, you know, systemic oppression that exists in our primarily black and brown communities that uh, greatly shape the choices and decisions and um, you know, avenues that these kids are, are faced with. Uh, you know, so when, you know, we see, you know, gang members or, or you know, kids, you know, sometimes committing a, a, a violent crime or being accused of committing violent crimes, you know, I, I just want to put out there that, you know, they're not bad kids. You know, they're just uh, kids that a lot of times are hurting inside. It's just, uh, you know, maybe grew up in dysfunctional households and, and, and very violent communities. Um, that's not to say that, 
children shouldn't be held accountable, but I just think incarceration is the wrong way to go about it, and it's not really productive, and it, um, you know, people can make a change, people can make a difference, but it's going to take all of us, you know, it's, it's not going to, you know, like I said, I didn't, wasn't able to make the change that I made on my own, and, you know, there's a huge uh, support system and systems in place that allowed that to come to fruition, and it's going to take all of us to really transform our communities and to get involved in a meaningful and positive way, and everybody can do that, you know, if you got a loved one is facing charges, you know, definitely support that person and, and help that person, uh, you know, at least get a fair uh, shot, you know, because um, any, anybody that's been through the system knows how uh, racially biased it is, especially the criminal justice system where, um, you know, it, it doesn't really favor, uh, you know, poor people or working class people or people of color. So I think for the most part is to support your loved one uh, and, and give them that encouragement, you know, to help them and know that, you know, that's just where they're at at this moment. But the, the behavior, the gang lifestyle, that's their living or the drug lifestyle, that's, that's their living. It's not who they are at their core. And I think that family members can see that. But to see that in other people as well, to realize that change is possible, but to actually help somebody, support somebody to actually break through that. Because, uh, you know, if I could change in, in the way that I was living my lifestyle, then I know it, it's, it could be done for anybody. Right. I could, it could be done for Absolutely. anybody. It's just that people just need to be given that opportunity and to be believed in. Uh, and so don't give up on your loved ones, you know, keep, keep fighting. And, um, you know, and also to get involved, you know, get involved in these uh, system, you know, uh, dismantling these systems of oppression and, and, and racial bias, you know, these different laws that, uh, you know, are keeping our people incarcerated well beyond what they should be incarcerated for. So, um, you know, stay up to date on different bills uh, going through the state legislature, um, you know, and, and definitely get involved and support those bills to have some type of meaningful, transformative uh, justice reform. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would say to folks. Just get involved, um, you know, definitely vote. And a lot of people, you know, give up on the, the voting because they say it doesn't matter. But um, that's the narrative that the people in power want us to believe. And so they, they want us not to vote and they want us not to be engaged and they want us to make us feel like it can't make a difference. But why? Because that's exactly how they maintain power and control. So it's just, um, you know, get involved, stay involved. And um, anybody can advocate, you know, anybody. You don't need a college degree. You don't even really need the lived experience. Um, you could advocate um, for what you believe in to be as right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for some some great insights and on what people can do. And, and, you know, it's, it's amazing how with today's day and age, you know, the information that's out there, you know, we can, we can make a, a huge difference if we just collectively, you know, come together and, and continue uh, the work of advocacy. And it really comes down to, like you said, just caring, you know, taking the time to, to, yeah. to really empathize. And, 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 and I know that a lot of this came about because, you know, people have finally been directly impacted, you know, by incarceration, whether they knew someone or loved one and, so it started to really, um, you know, get people to start thinking about justice reform and, and, and really considering the injustices that are taking place, you know, behind the walls. And so um, we got to stay informed, definitely stay informed. And so, Jay, I want to yeah. thank you. And we look forward to your contributions. Um, keep up the great work. Appreciate all that you had to say today. And uh, we look forward to future uh, podcasts with you. For sure, for sure. Thank you, Ray. And just for, for everybody, man, there's plenty of grassroots organizations to get involved with. That's what I would recommend, too. Look at the grassroots organizations that are available. There's a lot more, like Ray said, not back in the 90s. We didn't really have that. Now there's a lot of them. Just get involved. And so thank you, Ray, for having me. And uh, 
I look forward to continuing this conversation. Absolutely. And to the listeners, thank you for joining us and helping us and supporting us to bring awareness to incarceration and life after incarceration.